Morning. Could you turn with me to Luke chapter 5? Okay, Luke chapter 5, starting from verse 1. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonged to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signalled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled the boats, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that had taken, they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. A very well known story. But I'm hoping that we could maybe dig deep into it and see if there's things that sometimes you read with your eyes and you don't meditate on the word and it just it's just a nice wee story. You've heard it probably since you were knee high. But I'd like to kinda kinda take it verse by verse and and dig a wee bit deeper. I need my glasses today. Um, so in verse 1 and 2, it says this, On the day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. This sets the stage, this is the opening scene, this sets the stage for the, this wee story, this wee narrative. We see Jesus, we see a crowd, we see the word of God, we hear the word of God, there's boats, there's fishermen, and there's empty nets. They came to hear the word of God, they came to hear the word of God for Jesus, so they were seeking the word, the word was sought. The setting doesn't take place in a church, in a synagogue, in a tent meeting. There's no hushed crowd. There's no hushed crowd listening to an eloquent exposition of a favourite psalm, or even a good preacher. Instead, 
the crowd, the multitude are pressing in on Jesus. There's people sitting about washing nets, so there must have been a smell of fish about. So it's not exactly the nice clean wee setting that we can have here this morning. It's a smelly setting. It's a working setting. It's a harbour. It's busy. And Jesus comes in among them. Jesus enters the world of the people where they're at. Rather than expecting them to come to him in his terms, in his world. They come expecting to hear the word of God. I mean, you read that in that language, it means they're coming to hear a prophet. Because they're coming to hear God speak through a man. And throughout the generations, their ancestors knew that was a prophet that would do that. The people would get before the prophet, and the prophet would speak the word of God. In verse 3, He got into one of the boats, the one belonged to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So he never stood at a wee pulpit. Or away up in the gods there, pulpit, if you're in the Church of Scotland. Um, his pulpit was a boat. Jesus wasn't a fisherman. Jesus was a carpenter. So he climbs into Peter's boat and then he requires Peter's services. <clears throat> Jesus isn't a fisherman. He's a carpenter. He's not really good at rowing boats. Peter is. Peter's a fisherman. So it's a genuine request. He needs Peter to row the boat. I've wrote here that Peter owes him a favour anyway. Because in the previous chapter, Jesus heals his mother-in-law. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. But he heals his mother-in-law. <laughs> and in the culture of the day, Jesus isn't just casting out favours, but in the culture of the day, you repay a favour by a favour. But Jesus isn't just casting out a favour, he's, he's got a more important agenda. This is what I want to focus on. How Jesus operates with people. Jesus doesn't get in there with the tacky boots on. He doesn't go in there offering Peter something. He asks for his help. Nor does he get into the depths because Jesus knows He's the beginning and the end. He's Alpha and Omega. He knows what's going to happen. He knows the end. And he knows Peter's life right out in front of him. He doesn't tell Peter anything. He just asks him for his help. He doesn't tell him the wonderful life and the incredible life that Peter's going to have if he pledges his loyalty to him. You see, sometimes, as Christians, <clears throat> we end up like spiritual polis. We are big tacky boots on. And when we meet people, we're right in their faces and telling them their eternity right away. You must be born again. 
You see, all these things in the Bible are the truth. But there's a way how you do it. There's a way how you speak to people. Somebody that's in pain and hurting, if you tell them where their eternal destiny is going to be, what you're doing is putting a finger in that wound and making it worse. And they'll switch off of you. They won't listen to you. You're just a nutcase Bible thumper. Jesus never done that. This is how Jesus operates. He asks the man for help. He genuinely needed his help. He would later ask Peter some heavy stuff. When all the people were saying, who, who do the people say I am? Some say you're Elijah, some say that, some say that. And he said to Peter, who do you say I am? Peter said, you're the son of God, the Most High. You're the Christ. And, and Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but my Father in heaven. You see, the Spirit then was working in Peter, revealing who Jesus was, the Messiah, the Christ. But this would come later, when Peter knew Jesus. Instead, he just approaches Peter and he asks him for help. Will you help me? I need your help. You see, this request is within Peter's capabilities. He wasn't asking him to do anything he couldn't do. He was a trained fisherman and knew how to handle a boat. See, Jesus' request was genuine. He didn't just make this up just to be his pal. You see, he needed his own skills because the crowd were pushing in and he needed somewhere. He was, he was on the shore of the water. He got into Peter's boat and he asked him to take him out a wee bit. And Peter would need to keep that boat steady. Jesus would sit in the boat and preach, but need, Peter would need to keep that boat steady. And he was the man to do it, stop it from drifting. So that Jesus then could teach the people the word of God. And his boat was his pulpit. He asked them for help. Jesus did this a lot when he first met people. He engaged with people in a gentle way. The woman at the well, he asked them for a drink. He asked her for a drink. A simple task that the woman was capable of doing. It was trying to build a relationship. That wee opening line, the wee icebreaker, he asked her to do something that she was capable of doing. And then the, the dialogue happens for then, conversation. This is the same kind of creative dynamic that was at work in this story. So Jesus is teaching the word of God for Peter's boat. He's actually fishing for a fisherman's boat. But he's engaged in catching people, no fish. And as he and as he does this, he bestows life to people. You see, Peter uses the boat to catch fish, and when you catch fish, they die. Jesus was trying to catch people alive. These two kinds of fishing would come will come later in the story <laughs> to form a challenge for Peter. Before this story's finished. You see, Peter was confident and secure and he was a professional fisherman, he knew his stuff. So he was at ease with himself in the boat. That was his that's his backyard, he's okay with that. He's know his depth, he knows what he's doing, so he's calm, he's relaxed. So Peter was able to listen to Jesus preaching the word of God. That Jesus was preaching to the people on the shore. Peter was listening to every word. 
That's what Jesus asked them to do. Keep the boat steady while I preach to these people. But because he was a trained fisherman, he was relaxed. And he could be able to listen to Jesus and take it in. Well, he never had much choice, really, did he? He was in a boat. <laughs> he was in a boat with Jesus in the middle of the water, so... He was a captive audience. But Jesus knew this interaction wasn't even for the people. It was for them, but it was for Peter. Because he had a plan for Peter's life. And in the process, Jesus changed Peter's familiar surroundings into a life-transforming meeting between the two of them. Now, <clears throat> when Jesus stops preaching, the story should just fall as natural, shouldn't it? He asked, Peter to get him, he asked Peter to keep the boat steady. Jesus finishes preaching. Right, Peter, thanks very much. Gets back to the shore. But that doesn't happen. That's the normal way a reader would read this, but that doesn't happen. Verse 4 says this. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out in the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Sometimes we just read that and Peter obeys the word and he just goes and does it. But see, when you start thinking about it, you get into the depth of it, I don't think Peter takes it that way. I suggest is when you put into the passage something that's not there and make it something else. I'm not trying to do that today. I'm exegeting the passage to, to bring out what I believe was the truth. What I believe... I'm filling in the gaps within the context of this so that it's, I'm trying to make it a story. A real story that me and you would be if we were in the situation. You see, so Jesus is a land lover. He's a carpenter. He lives on the land. He's no a fisherman. He's no got sea legs. He can walk on water, but he's no got sea legs. And he gives orders to a professional fisherman <coughs> and how and where to catch fish. How nuts is that? The guy's a carpenter. He doesn't know nothing about fishing. Peter knows this. How would you feel when, some, when somebody comes and tells you what to do in your own expertise? Are you upset about it? Are you a wee bit peeved? Are you a wee bit ruffled in that because you know your stuff? Well, I think Peter would have been like that. Listen, Peter was a big hard fisherman, probably cursing and swearing and all the rest of it. Cleaned his axe up when he started to follow Jesus, but this is who he was. An ignorant fisherman, they called him. But he knew his stuff about fishing. So, in this bit we see Jesus' command to catch fish. Peter's knackered. He's dead beat, he's knackered, he's been up all night, he's been fishing his own, the night shift. He's been in the water all night trying to catch fish, can't catch any. Nothing's happening. <laughs> he's raging. This is his livelihood. He's been up fishing all night, and in my Glasgow accent, he caught hee-haw. Hee-haw. Nada. Nothing. And here's this wee jumped-up carpenter 
for the highlands in Nazareth, inland, telling him, who lives on the shore and he's a fisherman, he's got his own business, tell him how to catch fish, where to catch them. And the reason he's been up all night, because Peter fishes at night, because that's where the fish feed. They feed at night. And he knows where to get them. He knows every inch of that water where to catch these fish. And this is when you start to read and start to pick up things that you don't, you just, you just read and you, you kind of miss it. He asked him to go in the deep water. He's really annoyed, Peter. He's really getting on his nerves. Because Peter knows how to fish. And he's asking him to do it during the day. And the sun's it. Peter knows how to fish. And there are different types of fishing. You know, during the day, I go fishing, I like fishing. And it's different when you're with a line, right? Because during the day, fish don't really feed. They hide under rocks and stuff like that. But you might catch a wee stream that, that runs into a river or whatever like that and it washes up all the kind of food and sometimes the fish will feed and you'll catch them. Fly, fly fishermen will tell you that. Unless you get a kind of stream running in it, disturbing stuff, we'll get technical oxygenated water coming into a kind of, maybe a wee outlet going into a big mass, like the, the, the Galilean Sea is a kind of enclosed sea, it's not a open sea, so any wee inlets going in there with oxygenated water, Peter knows exactly where to fish, because that's where the, feed, the fish are going to feed, but they feed at night, so what's the point in going out? And they feed in the shallow waters. There's two different ways of fishing the Sea of Galilee. There's a hand net, but you see, you've probably seen documentaries where they get the net, and they throw it out like that, and it goes out like a big circle, and it lands on the water, and they've got weights on the end of the net, and it sinks, and it encapsulates any fish that's underneath it, and then they pull it, and then they take it. There's another way of doing it with two boats, with one big net, like a drag net, you see the trawlers doing, and they troll in deep sea. There's a way of doing that. That's no Peter's that's no Peter's business. Peter's business is the wee hand nets off the boat or you can stand actually stand in shallow water and do it. So here's Jesus telling a man that knows he in fact the nets that Peter's got are only for used at fishing at night. Don't ask why, read about it. But the nets he was using were designed for the fish at night. So I don't know where they had I don't know if they be, I don't know if they can get a woman and stuff. I don't know what they say. The setup was the nets were designed for at night. So here was Jesus telling them, not only to go and fish during the day when it's hopeless, but to go into the deep water where Peter knows is a waste of time, his style of fishing. And he's already been out all night, remember, when the fish are supposed to be feeding, and he's caught nothing. So you can imagine how he's feeling. His pride's getting hot. He's the expert, he's the professional. He does this for a living. Peter wants to go to his bed. He stayed up another few hours to serve the Master, to serve Jesus. So he wanted to go to his bed two or two or three years ago, but he stayed up to help the man out to steady his pulpit when he's out in the water on the boat. This is the setting. 
Apparently the, the, the Sea of Galilee, you don't need to get that far out before there's a kind of shelf in this deep water. You're all fishermen now, you know how you fish now, eh? <clears throat> You'll find out why I'm boring you to death here about fishing. Because it's important in this story. <coughs> Peter knows where all the successful fishing takes place and it's at night. But this is his business, this is his livelihood, they know he's got to know about it, this is how he provides for his family. You see, Peter doesn't enter into rabbinic, rabbinic debates like the Pharisees. He doesn't turn into one. He's not going to jump in. He's not going to hold on the now and I'll preach for you, Jesus. He doesn't know anything about that. He doesn't know the finer points of Sabbath observance or all these things are a mystery to him. He just leaves that to the, the, the rabbis. But he did know a great deal about fishing. And that's why it's a wee bit irking him. You stick to your job and I'll stick to mine. But here is his reply in verse 5. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say, I will let down your nets. Now, when I read that, it looks as though, okay, no problem, I'm going to let down the nets. Because you're the man, and I'm going to do that. And that's how we read it. I've got this wee bit, maybe I'd be wrong. There's a wee bit of sarcasm involved. I'm going to give you a paraphrase of that wee verse. I might be completely wrong. But Peter knows his stuff, and he's going to teach this carpenter how to fish. Daytime style. A paraphrase of the verse could be, Listen, teacher, me and the boys are professionals. We know the fish feed. It's along the shore, and we catch them at night. That's why we've been out all night. We're not stupid. We've worked the fishing areas all night and caught nothing. I'm dead tired. I've only stayed awake for a few hours to serve you. You rabbis think you know everything, and now you order me to fish in deep water during the day. Okay, then. Let's go out and we'll see who knows who, let's go out and we'll see who knows what about fishing. I think that's what he meant. Well then, I'll put the next suit. See who the fisherman is. Because we're going to catch nada. Hee-haw, nothing. Once we get here. That's what Pierre thought. But you know he still obeys the word of God. He still obeys him. And he calls him teacher, master. You see, Peter's call, Peter calls Jesus. In the Greek it's called epistatis. It's, it means teacher, boss, chief. <clears throat> but he's tired and annoyed. And then he has to go and ask his mate, he has to go, has to go and ask his boys to go out fish. And they're as good a fisherman as him, and they know they're not going to catch it, and they know he knows they're tired as well. So he's got all that on his plate. He has to ask them to go again. Look, just go. He's asked us to go. Mum will go. You can hear them all grumping and groaning and moaning and starting to go into the back onto the lake. Verse six. When they had done so, 
They caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. This was the power of the word of God being demonstrated in power. This is the climax of this story. He's struggling, it's too heavy a catch. The boat's sinking. And this is just brilliant. And I've, when I'm doing this, I've got three different Bibles in front of me with different translations just to try and get the best one. They all mean the same, but sometimes the word's different. It says in there, he signals, he signals his, his, his other boat. Peter's got two boats, that's his business. James and John are in another boat. Sons of Zebedee, James and John are in another boat. And he signals them. And this is brilliant. So the casting net suit and the fish are bulging. He's trying to get them into the boat, and the boat's nearly sinking. The catch is far too much. The heaving the fish, he just sees the place littered with silver fish. And he signals, it says, in the kind of New King James, he beckons. I thought that's brilliant. <laughs> so, he's trying to get their attention. He's no one to shout, Oh, check us! I can't hold this! The boat's going to collapse, there's too many fish! Because you know that... If you're ever at a wee river, if you're up the river or something, you're ever anywhere in a wee lake, I mean, you can probably hear people talking across the lake, because... Sound carries seven times further when you're speaking on the water and it does in dry land. That's fact. So he knows if he opens his mouth, the place is going to be inundated with own boats and then about his fish, his catch. So he beckons them. He signals them. Get out of here. The place is heaving. Don't tell him. He doesn't want anybody in the shore to know. He doesn't want any other boats to know. Because he's a businessman. This is his livelihood. Sometimes, he, again, when you, you, you kind of miss that, he beckoned them. I didn't even know what beckoned means until I looked it up, really. <laughs> but I was signalling another version, so he made a signal. Come on. You said the other one. Come here, there's more. There's more. <laughs> Jimmy Cricket, wasn't it? <clears throat> anyway. See, I, I, I fish as well. When I know that, I take boys. I work with people with disabilities, and I go, I go up the river on a Wednesday, and, and uh, I take boys up there, and, and we're only, we're up there at ten o'clock. We catch very little. The boys that are caught anything are up there for five o'clock in the morning because the fish are feeding at night. It's true, and they catch the end of the fish feeding, and you might catch the odd stocky, but it's very, very rarely you catch much. So I do know that there's a lot of truth in this. But this isn't a hobby to Peter, this is his livelihood. He's sharing this with nobody. This is his catch. It's going to set him up for maybe a couple of years. This, this, is, a, this is a jackpot. He's hit a lottery at fishing. And he's keeping himself. And he's, done, he's, he's got this because he what? He actually obeyed. Even though it was ridiculous... He still obeyed God. He obeyed the word of God. We talked about that last week. How absurd and at times ridiculous and painful it can be. Do you trust God that he's right? Even though you know he's wrong. Do you trust him that he's right? And just go away anyway. So he catches his haul. Another boat's come in and they take the fish. 
The two boats now are nearly sinking, that's how big a catch it is. The two boats are just about to sink. See, Jesus now approaches Peter at his strong point. Peter knows he knows his... Jesus knows Peter knows his stuff. He knows he's a fisherman. He knows he knows his stuff. How did this catch harm? This miraculous catch? Peter knows it shouldn't have harmed. Because Peter knows the water. He knows how to fish. This shouldn't have harmed. So again, Jesus approaches Peter at his strong point as a skilled fisherman. Then Peter's faced with a decision. Remember I said God last week is God is a means or is an end. And we went it for the blessings, we went it for the we went it for the blessings to see if we can get out of it. Or is God enough? Well Peter's got this decision to make. God or mammon. I'm going to explain that God's not against either. Have him in his own place. You see, for, Pete, for years Peter's worked his waters. And he only ever dreamed in his wildest dreams of a catch last. This is your equivalent of your numbers coming up in the lottery for Peter. This is the jackpot. This would set him up financially. The first thought Peter had, must have had was Jesus somehow knew where the fish were. Because he's still thinking as a fisherman. He must know where these fish are. How did he, how did he know where they tell me to throw the net out? He knows there's some wee secret place where they all gather that I've missed somehow. He's got... He knew that... A, but he knew that a person with that knowledge could make himself a fortune in under a few weeks. could make a fortune if he knew exactly where to get them in a cash last. <clears throat> so why was Jesus this penniless rabbi that could have made a fortune as a fisherman? A carpenter, penniless rabbi now, going about preaching to people for nothing. This is screwing with Peter's mind. This man's wandering about teaching people for nothing and he knows where to catch fish. Peter must be saying, come on, how can God be more important than two full boats of fish in his, in his world? How can God be that important than two full boats of fish? A lorry one. Evidently Jesus cared more about God and people than he did about money or creating wealth. Who was this man who had made this amazing decision? Peter finds himself face to face with a person who challenged Peter's priorities at his, at his deepest level. And if we read, if we read verse, verse 8, When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. This is one of the reasons I was going to preach in Isaiah. Because in Isaiah 6, 
Isaiah's in the temple and it says I saw the Lord high and exalted sitting on a throne and the train of the robe filled the temple above him were seraphim each with six wings and they were crying holy holy is the Lord almighty the whole earth is full of his glory at the sound of their voices the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke Woe to me, I cried, I am a ruined, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. I'm going to tell you, I was brought up in a charismatic church, and uh, I've seen a lot of abuses of the gifts of the Spirit. I believe in the gifts of the Spirit, I've seen a lot of abuses. And I've seen a lot of people try to manufacture moves of God. As we heard from Tuesday night, when revival kicks in, it's got nothing to do with God. Untouched by human hands, it's all about Him. And I know, by reading the scriptures, that when you are in the presence of God, you see yourself for who you really are. You see yourself as a sinful person. And Isaiah seen that in the, in the temple. When he was in the presence of holiness, he seen himself for who he was. A man of unclean lips. Woe is me. A man of unclean lips. And I live in a land with people with unclean lips. And he just seen himself because when God shines a light on you, he shows you up all the dirt. And I've preached in this in one church and in charismatic churches about a move of God. I want to see the evidence of me somebody baptising the Holy Spirit it's no talking tongues or doing stuff that looks religious I believe the evidence of the presence of God is somebody on their knees repenting woe is me for I am a man of unclean lips and Jesus the son of God was holy and Peter knew he was in the presence of holiness And he says, get away from me, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinful man. He couldn't handle being in the same boat as Jesus because of the holiness he was confronted with. You see, Peter was filled with awe. And he was afraid. You're in that place of holiness. You become afraid because you know who you are and who God is. And the title, the first title he gave Jesus was Epistatis, which is teacher. Now it's Kyrios, Lord. Peter surrenders to the Lord. He surrenders to Jesus as Lord. In verse 10, Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So obviously, he was afraid. He's got a choice to make. He sees this man's made his choice. Not to run after the things of the world, but to 
serve God. And in that verse 10, Jesus commands, catch people now. See, Jesus dismisses Peter's fears and assures him these fishing skills would come in handy. But they're a different kind of catch thing. <coughs> They've been now catching people. Do you know I even looked that up? The word catch in this verse means to catch alive. To this same boat, Peter's fishing boat, Jesus caught people alive. And now he's asking Peter to do the same. You see, the study I'm getting is how Jesus dealt with people, how he interacted with people. And there's a pattern. You see, Jesus starts with Peter's world is, his fishing world, his material world. He's catching fish. And then he moves into another fishing world where he'll go on and catch people. You see, when the Pharisees complained that, about Jesus, Jesus cursed them a welcoming people. He eats with sinners. He's a drunkard. He's this and that. Because he's in sinners, he's eating and drinking with sinners. He's a glutton and a drunk. They were always on his case. <coughs> he replied to stories that they would know, of the culture of the day, parables. They would talk about the shepherd that lost his sheep. They would talk about the woman that lost a coin. And only then did they go on and talk about lost sons people you'll find all these in Luke 15 again when he was attacked for healing a woman on the Sabbath with the Pharisees they replied if your donkey falls down a well he puts it right back onto them maybe your donkey falls down a well you just let it die because it's the Sabbath So what's more important, a woman or a donkey? You see, in all these cases, Jesus began with the earthly world of animals, coins, fish, before he started to turn to disgust people. And he was doing the exact same thing in this story, using the power of God and word and deed for this miraculous catch, talking about fish. Still going to go fishing, Peter? Their priorities have changed. They're going to catch people now. It says that he left everything and followed them. We need to get back to the author here how this works. If you read the scriptures, you'll see that Jesus, Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. He knew him. And there's other bits that he says, come and follow me. This is when Peter followed him. Did he just leave everything down and that massive big cash of fish and all that finance so sitting there and just ding it all and follow Jesus? No he didn't. That fish would have been gutted and sold and the money would have been given away. But Peter gave up his business. He gave up the two boats and Jesus called his two mates and they gave up the boats and gave it back to his father and they walked away for a full business. And they became fishers of men later on. Jesus is no any wasting money, especially no rotten fish on the side of the 
that went to good use. Jesus demonstrated his ability to make a lot of money in a hurry. <coughs> At the same time, he's seen here as a person with a higher commitment, and he's shown Peter that higher commitment. Peter clearly stood in awe of such a person, but I'm up to it. Can I endorse this? Can I endorse these new new goals on my own? Can I? Can I live up to this? Well, you read your Bible. He could. He did. And the big fisherman was born. Amen. We hear and we hear time and again. And sometimes, it's not that we get hardened to the word, but we need to look at them in reality eyes. We need to see. When you dig a wee bit deeper and certain words jump out of the page at you, you need to look at all. You need, you need to read a wee bit deeper and meditate on what you're reading, not just read it. And when you do that, the Bible comes alive, amen? It becomes so real that you feel as though you're there with him. Feeling what he's feeling, thinking what he's thinking. And do you know what? God speaks to you. And that Bible becomes life. The words become life in you. So I encourage you to read your word. And even if you... I don't mean go and read big chunks of your Bible. Read a wee story like that. And just sit, read it maybe two or three times. Maybe about 11 verses. And just meditate on the words. And I guarantee you, he'll speak to you. And he'll, he'll take you right into the presence of... You'll smell the fish. Amen. You'll be there with him. And you'll understand what Peter was going through. Sometimes we just skim right across things. Anyway, thanks for listening. Amen.